Um, as you're finding your way back to your seats, we'll just give you some context. Uh, you are coming into the second week of a very short series we are doing to start off the beginning of the year called First Things First. And it's a chance where we are looking at the beginning of this year, what really matters? What is God really calling us to? And how do we center and gather ourselves around the words of Jesus and what he is calling us to in the future? So last week we looked at... Um, the Gospel of John, where Jesus has said he was made flesh and he dwells among us. And we had this, we talked about how God is not just an idea, God's not just a moral value system, but he's a person who wants to live and dwell with us, a person who speaks to us and calls to us to act. And so today we are going to build on that yet again. Um, and this week we're going to read another first saying, um, and it's going to be the first encounter that a guy named Levi has with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 2. Um, now, if you're unfamiliar, Mark is one of the Gospels. It's on like the later half. It's in the New Testament, right after Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter 2. And we're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. <clears throat> All right. So it says here, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who also followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, as we have heard your words, I pray that you would do what you do. Holy Spirit, bring them to life. Let them not be just a story from the ages, but let them be living and true words. Words that shape us, challenge us, form us, and call us closer to you and to your kingdom. We pray that you would speak to us today. Open our hearts that we might hear you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to start off today by telling you about one of the worst sleeps I've ever had in my life, okay? Now, this isn't a baby story. I know half of you in the room are thinking, oh my goodness, here comes another baby story. Colin, we get it, you have young kids. No, 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 this is pre-baby story. Like, you have bad sleep with babies, but at least when you have a bad sleep with little kids, you feel like there's some purpose behind it, like you're keeping a human alive, so I guess that's fair enough. But this bad sleep didn't have any overarching purpose behind it. It was just miserable. And part of the reason that I had a terrible sleep, it had to do, it was all about bags. Bags. Not under my eyes, not quite, no. But I had them after this sleep. What it was, 
is uh, before I came here to live here in New Zealand, I was working in Europe, and I was working with an organization called Youth with a Mission. And I was working with a team in Italy, and then I needed to go for a conference in uh, Ireland. And so I booked some flights to go from Italy to Ireland. But I worked for a missions agency, which mean I was dirt poor. Dirt poor. So when I booked the tickets, I didn't book one whole complete ticket because that was too expensive. No, I was going to outsmart the ticket machine. I found the budgetest airline I could called Ryanair. <laughs> yes, you know Ryanair. Those of you who have flown on it, we're brothers and sisters now. It's an experience. So I booked two Ryanair flights separately. And they had a connecting flight because I couldn't get directly from Italy to Ireland. I had to go through a London airport called Stansted. Some of you have flown through there. But I was young and naive and stupid. For when I booked these tickets, one of my tickets left Italy at about nine o'clock at night. And then my next ticket to Ireland, because that ticket was the cheapest, by the way, and then the next cheapest ticket I could find to Ireland left London at 5.30 a.m. And I thought, this will be fine. So I was like, I booked it, and it was going to be fine, and I had some friends in England, and I thought somebody could come and get me. No one could come and get me. So I arrived on the flight. I flew from Italy full with my bags. I had a suitcase and then like a little carry-on and then because I was like a good missionary kid, I had my guitar with me because Christians just have to have their guitars with them all the time, so I was flying with mine and I flew and then I get to Stansted and it's 10 o'clock at night and to get my bags, I have to leave the kind of airport security area to head out to the main area, right? So I go out and I get my bags and I think, okay, it's fine. I'll just recheck in and then I can go find a couch and just sleep somewhere for the night. No. I learned you're not allowed to check in for a flight 12 hours early. Funny that, right? So I get there and I go to my gate to like go to the place where I think I can check in and no one's there. And I'm looking around and Stansted is a bare airport. Wow, where you check in, there's no couches, there's no chairs. There's nothing to like sleep on. No one was coming to get me. And I thought, well, this will be fun. And I also wasn't wearing enough clothes because I was young and stupid and didn't pack a jacket. And so I, was, I wore three extra shirts and I put on like two pairs of extra undies and two pairs of socks. And then I chucked my hoodie over that. So I was trying to be as warm as I could. And then I scouted Stansted Airport for somewhere to sleep. No chairs that I could find, none. So I guess I could have slept on a marble floor, but then that felt nerve wracking. And so I looked around and in my head, I was like in survival mode. And I was like, I need a cave or something to protect myself. There's no caves, but there were some big billboards with advertisements. And I noticed behind the billboards with advertisements, there's this big grate elevated, probably about 35 centimeters off the floor, just this one grate. And it was probably about this wide. Yeah, probably about this wide. And out of this grate came the secret key, heating. Hot air came from the grate. And so I was thinking, if I'm gonna sleep anywhere, I'm freezing cold, here's a grate with hot air, I'm going to sleep upon it. So what I did, but I had all my bags, right? And here's the thing, I grew up in Mexico, in Mexico City, where if you put your bag down on the street for half a second, it's gone. 
It's just gone. You're never getting it back. And now I had to sleep, and I'm a very deep sleeper. And I was terrified. I was going to wake up and have everything gone, everything. And so what I do is I begin to like position myself on this grate. And I begin to get my bags, and I begin to literally weave them in nets around one another. And I start wrapping them around my arms. I grab another bag, and I, I lay it on the grate to be my pillow. This was my backpack. I removed my computer and hid that in my guitar case. And then I took the straps from my other bag and I looped those straps through the guitar case handle. And then I began to wrap those straps around my legs. And then once those were wrapped around my legs, I began to grab another bag and I, I tied it around my hands in another way. I got another one and I wrapped it around on my neck because was, this was like a really important bag and if someone's going to take it, they better take my head too. And so I must have been a sight to behold. This skinny white American kid turned into a mummy with like bags and straps wrapped all around me, laying on this tiny thin grate, desperate for heating. And then I had to basically just kill time from 10 p.m until 5 a.m. And it was miserable. I kept on being nervous that I was gonna lose my bags. I kept waking up and tapping every part of me and then double checking and at one point I thought my guitar, oh stink, I've got it looped through the guitar handle so they can't take the case. But what if they come and just flip it open and take the guitar? So at about 3 a.m. I wake up and shove the guitar under one of my legs. So I'm literally, I've got it wrapped around a leg like this while my head's on a bag and I'm trying to sleep on a tiny grate balancing like a Russian ballerina, hoping, praying that everything will be there when I wake. Cause I was, ha, I moved before you got the photo. I was just desperate to not lose my bags. And because I was so tied to these, it was just miserable. And then to me, the best part of the trip, and any of you who've done lots of traveling, the best part of the trip is once you've finished the plane ride where you're stuck with all the smelly people, you've got your bags, you get home, and then you just... <sighs> you know that feeling, right? Just no straps digging into you, nothing carrying you. This love-hate relationship with baggage. And this is the challenge of the text that we're finding today. Where we're gonna encounter someone who was carrying and holding his own baggage, and then it encountered Jesus and it forced a reckoning with the things that we hold on to so desperately because we think we really, really need them. But maybe we don't. So we find ourselves today reading about uh, the story when Jesus first encounters Levi. Now, Levi had another name, which was Matthew, and it's likely that Matthew wrote the gospel called Matthew, right? Makes sense. They were smart back then, thinkers. And so this is the story of how Matthew came to know Jesus. And so we start off, um, Jesus has already been doing some cool healings. If you know, there's the story of the paralytic that comes down from the roof. That just happened, and it was amazing. He got up and walked, and he threw shade at all the Pharisees who got in his way. It was really cool. And so now Jesus finds himself wandering around, and he encounters someone called Levi. And the text says that Levi is a tax collector. Now, nobody likes taxes, right? Like, this year the IRD, I had, they paid me too much. 
which I didn't think they should, but then they paid it to me, and then I had to pay it back, and then they charged interest on it, even though they shouldn't. It was a whole debacle. Many of you probably had that, but anyway. Yes, everyone else got charged interest too for no reason. It's so annoying. Anyway, that's not what the sermon's about. I apologize. Um, the way taxes worked back then is people didn't like them then either, but in many ways it was open to way more corruption than just an algorithm charging some extra tax on. The way taxes worked back then is the Roman government wanted tax from Israel, right? They want, they want cash. But they also want steady income. Any of you who run businesses know that fleeting income coming, going is a nightmare to plan. And so they came up with a good idea. What we'll do is we'll charge a flat rate of tax to this region, and then people will bid for that contract. And if they get that contract, they pay the tax to us, and then it's their job to recoup the tax from their own people. Right? Makes sense, except for slightly open to corruption, right? Because if the tax has been paid, then they can get whatever they want back. They can say, look, sorry, we have to pay the tax. I maybe had to pay 100000 to Rome, so I'm going to make 200000 back to make it worth my while. And often this was done by Jewish people. They would take up the call to tax their own people for their own financial gain at the cost of their countrymen. Now, we don't like tax collectors nowadays. Imagine how much less they were liked back then if you knew that your own countryman was selling you out, charging you and extorting you for extra money and corruption just so that he could line his own pockets. It was not a popular line of work. And this is what Levi was into. Now, Levi wasn't one of those top people who bid for the contracts. He wasn't even one of the mid people. A guy like Zacchaeus, he was a mid-level worker. Levi collected taxes at the toll booth. As people traveled on the road, he checked what goods they had, and he took some off of that. And one of the things I often wondered when reading this text is, why would someone become a tax collector? Have you ever wondered that? Like, if it's such a hated role, if people really don't like it, why would you risk ostracization for it? And we don't know. It doesn't give us clues, but you can almost imagine, like, what draws them there? Was it greed? Was it chance to have that financial freedom that he always longed for? Because lots of people lived hand to mouth, subsistence poverty living. If you became a tax collector, you were all right. So maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe he picked up one of his bags looking and thinking, oh, I've got a financial dream I can look forward to holding on to. If I get this in a few years, I'll be set. And who cares if no one likes me? I'll have what I need. We don't know. Maybe he did it because he was desperate. Maybe he was passed over for job opportunities. Maybe he had no good family connections. And maybe his mom or his sisters were suddenly getting starving and he needed a job. Many people who end up in gangs or criminal forces end up there out of desperation, don't they? Maybe he was just desperate to protect and care for his family. Maybe that was one of the bags and one of the things he picked up and held on to. And you can imagine over time, as he does that role, he gets the anger of people calling him out. He gets people calling him a traitor. You jerk, how can you do this to your people? I knew you were a scoundrel. I knew you were a rat bag. You've always shown it. Your mother was a rat bag. And can you imagine years of that? And then beyond just maybe hopes for financial freedom and maybe hopes just to provide for your family, maybe a little bit of resentments and bitterness picks up in his heart too. 
And now he thinks, well, yeah, we'll stuff them. They hate me anyway. What good is it going to do? Why should I even try to look like them? Why should I even try to be like them more? I might as well just double down, get as much money as I can from you, and then just live my quiet life ignoring you guys from that point. And you can see over years, maybe resentment builds up, maybe frustration, certainly isolation. The only people he builds a relationship with are the people who are in the same trade as him, other tax collectors, because no one wants to hang out with them anymore, because they're corrupt. And so now he builds up a whole new set of relationships, a whole new set of baggage that he carries. There's baggage for his financial dreams, Perhaps there's baggage for providing for his family. Perhaps there's emotional baggage as he's been insulted and ostracized. Maybe there's uh, camaraderie and he has friendship baggage and relationships that he wants to hold on to. And so you find him in many ways in this text bound up at the very start by a whole bunch of things he's holding in his hands. And then here it's in this moment that he encounters Jesus. Jesus comes to him and shockingly pays attention to him. I mean, if you knew that the guy at the tax booth, if you looked him in the eye, he was going to take your money, you'd ignore him, right? Like when I was doing border crossings, we traveled from Mexico to America a lot. And um, we sometimes brought in like computers and stuff for work. But I guess technically that was taxable. And so we, it's funny, I didn't think about this an adult, but we basically were like, What's Han Solo in Star Wars? People who, what? Yeah, we basically smuggled stuff into Mexico, really, was essentially what we were doing. We'd smuggle computers and uh, sound equipment for ministry, and we'd smuggle these things, right? And so whenever we crossed the border in Mexico, the rule my dad always said was when we met the border guards and border patrol, it's don't give them any more information than you have to. Don't look them in the eye, don't make conversation with them, answer their questions as quickly as you can, and don't draw attention to yourself. That was the rule, because if you drew too much attention, then they might search your car boot and find a whole sound system that you're going to do like Jesus skits with in Mexico City, and then you have to bribe them, and then there's ethical things of missionaries bribing cops, but it happens, and yeah, anyway, it's complicated. And so you can imagine Jesus passing someone like Levi. You'd want to ignore him, right? Don't make eye contact. Maybe he'll let us by. But instead, Jesus focuses in on him, a whole crowd around him, and he looks at him and begins to speak. And he says to him, Levi, follow me. Now, why would Levi want to do this? Why would anyone who's got their hands full of stuff, opportunities, baggage, emotional stuff, why would they pick up and leave everything to follow this Jesus? Have you ever asked that? Why would they do that? Well, it helps to understand there's a little bit of context behind there. See, Jesus was a rabbi. He was seen as a rabbi. This traveling teachers and rabbis had honor and status within Israel. People wanted to be around them. Obviously, Jesus always had a crowd around him. And the way education worked back then is you had like a primary school, which was called Bet Sefer. And in Bet Sefer, you would learn the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. You would learn them and you would memorize them. And that was your primary education. And then most Jewish boys would then go on to another program called Bet Talmud. And in Bet Talmud, you learned a little bit about the context of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But you also began to learn about the other Jewish scriptures. You learned about the Psalms. And you learned about the prophets. And so Levi probably would have been to both of those. 
But after primary and like intermediate education, there was another form of education, and it was called Bet Midrash. Can you say that? Bet Midrash. You can't do it. You guys are scared. Ready? One, two, three. Bet Midrash. You have to roll your R. We'll get there. Anyway, but Bet Midrash was like high-level education. And the only people who got picked for this were the students who showed promise, students who understood the Torah, those who could read well, those who could write well, those who, who showed great character. It also helped if you were from a wealthy family, significantly more likely to end up in Bet Midrash if your parents had cash. Now, Levi did not end up there. The point of Bet Midrash is now a, a rabbi would come to you and say, follow me, walk in my ways. And your job was basically to do four things. You had to memorize their teachings. You had to learn how they interpreted scriptures. You had to imitate their actions and their movements. And once you understood that well enough, you would become a rabbi and you would take disciples of your own. It was a real honor. So cool. Oh, everybody wanted to be Bet Midrash. You were hoping that a rabbi would see you. I don't think anyone ever saw Levi. He probably never made it that far. We don't know why, but rather than training and following a rabbi, he was at a tax collector's booth, extorting his own countrymen for cash. But Jesus says to him, follow me. And this great call, this thing that he'd longed for, this sense of honor and worthiness, the sense of acceptance, all these things he hadn't had for so many years because he'd been carrying all this other baggage of resentment and hurt and isolation, suddenly there's a call to something different, a call to a different way of life, God's way of life, where he doesn't have to extort his countrymen for gain, but he can trust in God to provide. And here, Levi has to make a choice. Because it was commonly understood that if you were to follow a rabbi, you had to let everything go. You'd have to leave your family for a while. The, the job, the profession of your fathers was no longer going to be yours because you were going to become a rabbi. You'd have to leave some of your culture behind, your relationships, because you would follow this person into a new way of life. And so Levi finds himself at the tax collector's booth with the eyes of a crowd upon him. He can feel the judgment in their eyes and in their shoulders, and Jesus says to him, Levi, follow me. But for Levi to get up, he's gonna have to let go of all that baggage that he's been carrying around him. Because you can't follow Jesus with this much. And when I've been looking at this text, I think, man, how similar it is for so many of us. We like what God can offer. When we hear about the gospel, we think, wow, fresh new life, a community, yes, serving people. Gosh, I really like some of that. That sounds amazing. Who doesn't want to be a kind, loving person that serves his community? I'd love to be that. Oh, prayer? Yeah, I'd love to be seen as a person who's calm and meditating and, and not stressed and connected with God all the time. Who wouldn't want that, right? But for so many of us, we don't interpret that call the same way. See, I think it's really easy that when Jesus calls to us and says, hey, follow me, we think, okay, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, totally, totally. Um, yep, I can follow you. Um, I've got some space, okay, here, if I wrap this 
around here. Yeah, I can do it. I've got a, I got a, I got a spare hand here. And so we think, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. I mean, there's all this other stuff that I still love and I'm really excited about and that I really, really care about and that I'm holding on to. But yeah, I'll try and follow Jesus as well. But for some reason, it doesn't work out, right? Any of us who've tried, it's really hard to do both. Just practically. You may like the idea, Jesus says, to love your neighbor and serve the poor. That sounds like a great call that all of us, we'd like to be that person, right? But to do that, that takes time, that takes energy, and that also will probably cost us financially when most of us are working 60 hours a week because we really, really want the new home in Golden Sands and we really would like the vacations twice a year and we'd really, really like to have our family over for this and we'd like to have this renovation done. Well, yeah, okay, Jesus, yep, I'll serve the poor. Um, it's just hard for me to serve the poor. I'm holding on to this thing right now. Or we might have other things that draw us in. You might have this sense of like, I want to be a person who's bound in community. I love the idea of community. I want to be a community people person. That sounds great. And so Jesus, one of the common things that Jesus would often say is invite people over for, for meals. Bring people into your house to eat. Share food with them. And we think, okay, all right, Jesus. Um, yep, yep, that sounds, uh, that sounds good. Um, yeah, I'll do that. Um, maybe, not this, maybe not this Sunday after church, though, because my house is really messy and I haven't had a chance to plan. Um, and I'll do next Sunday. I can't do next Sunday because I'm away doing this thing. Maybe I'll do the following Sunday and then you forget and the following Sunday you're like, well, I was going to invite someone over and you're like, oh, stink, I forgot. Um, I don't have any meals planned. I don't want to invite someone over just for bread because that's really lame. I'd like to be seen as a person who's thoughtful and hospitable. So this is really important that I'm seen as hospitable. So maybe I'll invite someone over when I can be as hospitable as I'd really like to be. Right? I'd, I'd love, yeah, I'd love the idea of serving Jesus, but sometimes like the idea of being hospitable more than actually being hospitable. I'd like to be a person of prayer. Gosh, I would love to pray in the mornings. I would love to pray in the evenings. When I meet people who pray, that just makes my heart so full. I want to be like them. So Jesus says, hey, pray. The most significant thing we can do in our spiritual lives is to pray. And we say, okay, all right, Jesus, I'll pray. Um, okay, all right, on Tuesday night, I've got um, this going on. On Wednesday, I've got a 12-hour day. Okay, on Thursday, I've got these 12 things I have to do. All right, I'll pray on, on Friday night. So you get home at Friday night, and then you're like, I should pray. I'm so tired from all the things that I've done. I'll just watch a few episodes of Netflix just to chill out. And then it's 2 a.m. and you're midway through a series and you're thinking, I could probably make one more. You were tired at 7 and now at 2 a.m. you're ready for one more episode. And then you think, I'll pray in the morning. And then the alarm goes in the morning and you're like, I'd love to pray, but, but uh, I really need to shower and then I need to do these things first. And how often I think the danger is when we think about salvation, when we think about Jesus' call to us, we think it's something else we have to take on. We think it's something else that we have to add to the baggage that we already carry. As if we can just add a little bit of Jesus to spice up our lives and then that will give us the kingdom in the future that we long for. But that's just not how it works. Salvation is not primarily about taking on to something else and this is what Levi understood. When Jesus said to him, follow me, what did, you, what did Levi do? He got up and left it all behind. 
Salvation is not primarily about doing something else for God. It's not about earning some extra right or some extra bit of God's favor. Salvation starts first and foremost with just letting things go. To follow Jesus, maybe you won't have the house that you've always desired because you might have to do some other things sacrificially. To follow Jesus, maybe you, you won't have your house all in order and it's gonna be awkward and your job's gonna be difficult and you're gonna have to share your faith with people and that's gonna be weird and you don't wanna be seen as weird. And it means to go and be with people who are different than us. We wanna hang out with peers who are like us, right? That's everybody. I wanna hang out with people who are my own age group, who look like me, talk like me, feel like me. And Jesus says, go and love the stranger. Go and look out for the lost. Go and sit with the broken and the hurting and suddenly our friend party lists aren't as exciting as we thought they were gonna be. But Jesus still says, follow me. The call of salvation is not about taking up something else. When Jesus calls you today, he's not asking you to do one more thing on top of your 30 other things. He's asking you to do something a lot more profound. He's asking you just to let go. Let go of maybe the dreams and the plans that you had and instead take on the way of this rabbi. Walk in his footsteps. Learn his words. Study how he interprets the scriptures. Begin to imitate him in your life and then ultimately create more disciples to follow this great rabbi of ours. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, I don't know what space you've come in today, but if you're anything like me, you've probably come in with your hands full of bags. Probably got a whole lot of baggage that you are wrestling with. And today, Jesus calls you again to follow him, not by taking on something else and working harder for him, but by letting things go. The gospel is actually just an act of surrender to a God so much bigger than us that says, God, come and have your way. And so I want us to take a few moments to pray together. Andre, do you mind coming up? And I wanna give us an opportunity to see, are you carrying any bags in your life? Have you walked in today with any huge expectations? Maybe it is for the dream Kiwi dream, the quarter acre section, the kids, the boat, the holidays. Chances are anyone, who, lots of people who follow Jesus, that has not been on the cards for them. But the life that he offers you is better than the Kiwi dream. Maybe you carry the resentment that Levi did. Maybe you carry anxiety or frustration and the thought of Jesus laser focusing in on you and calling you out is so terrifying, you can't handle it. Maybe that resentment Jesus is calling you to let go today and follow him. 
Maybe you have coping behaviors. We are all stressed, and in our stress, it's so easy to turn to things that satisfy us in the short term and hurt us in the long term. Gosh, that could be 10,000 things. That could be Netflix. That could be food. That could be drugs. That could be pornography. That could be alcohol. 10,000 things we turn to because we can't stand the pain inside of us, so we look to mask it with something else, and we know it's killing us inside. Jesus is just asking you, just let it go. Let it go. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So I've got a song that we're going to sing, and I want to create some space for us to respond to God together. I wonder if we could just stand as we wait on him and just allow his spirit to just be here with us for a bit.